Good morning. Today we're reading from Luke 22, 39 to 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. May these be added to your hearts. Please sit down. Good morning. Is this on? Is it good? Okay. Uh, yeah, I turned it on here. But okay, yeah, we're on. Um, I couldn't help but notice this morning we were singing a lot of praises to God, right? And singing about our commitments to God. And it, I couldn't help but think about what I'm going to be preaching on this morning and really the balance in our Christian life between praising and also in times of struggle. You notice in the Psalms, if you look at them, there's times where David, at the beginning of a chapter, he goes and he you know, speaks out his fears and how he's afraid of his enemies and how he's not feeling committed. And at the end, he speaks out his praise. And so I'm just hoping that my sermon doesn't come across as too negative, but that you, know, you remember that this is one side of the Christian life and there's the other side of praising and speaking out our commitments. I'm nervous. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give you a little story just to illustrate. Um, actually, just to tell you a little bit, little bit about myself, and just, some of you don't know much, and so I thought it'd be a good way to start out. Uh, an important thing that I grew up with in my family was eating healthy, or nutrition was a big thing in my family. Um, being, being raised in a Swiss family, it's common for breakfast for us to eat bread, and then we put on there some butter and some jam or some honey. You know, we didn't really eat bacon and eggs or any of that kind of stuff. That was very strange to us when we first came to Canada. But anyways... A really strange thing is that my dad, he would put raw garlic onto his bread, and that was common for him, and it was really healthy, he thought anyways, and he would convince us to do the same, and as kids, sometimes we would get really annoyed, and we didn't want to do this, and, but the funny thing is, as we've all grown up, I'm the youngest in my family, and then there's four older siblings, and as we've grown up, all of us has take, have taken along some of these ideas about healthy eating. When we were kids, we thought they were nuts, but as we grew up, and as we've all grown up, we've taken some of these along into our own lives, and some of them have changed, and we don't agree with my dad on everything when it comes to healthy eating, but it does matter to each of us. And so anyways, I went off to Prairie, um, and eventually I met this girl, Emily, who I'm, not, who I'm now dating, and she's here this morning, and some of you have met her. And uh, my parents always said, when you meet a girl, it's really important that you agree on the major things. You know, there's going to be differences, but the major things you, you should agree on. On a lot of things, we do agree. 
But there are definitely some things that we have differences on, and one of the big ones is on eating and what's healthy and what isn't. And we get into arguments. She's going to be a nurse, and I grew up in this family, and we have our ideas of what we think is right and wrong, and they don't always agree. And so, you know, Emily growing up, for example, going to school, she was allowed to take these foot-long roll-up things or, you know, those dinosaur, no, dunkaroos they're called. I never got those as a kid, but she got to take them along, and I was shocked, you know, those aren't healthy for you. <laughs> and one time, I've been over to her house a couple times, and one time uh, her mom was making cucumber salad, and I think it's really good, but she took like half a cucumber, sliced it up, and that was a salad for all six of us. That's all that we got, and it was in this little one-cup measuring cup, and I thought that was nuts. Like, that would have barely been enough for one of us in my family. My family would have a big bowl of it, you know? And it felt so strange to just scoop a little bit in. So anyways, we get into disagreements, and especially as we've gone on, we've been dating for more than a year, and, you know, you become a little more real with each other, and it's not all, you know, up in the air, and you start to really say what you think about stuff, and sometimes we get into disagreements, but that's not all bad. It's healthy if, you know, there's a good balance in our relationship, and we both get to have a say we're going to get into disagreements, and I don't think that's all bad. Well, my point in saying all that is to demonstrate that we all have beliefs and ideas about the way that life should work. And the fact is that those beliefs and ideas are not always going to agree with other people around us. This is true in our relationships with our families. This is true in our relationship, relationships with coworkers. Anywhere we go, we're going to have disagreements in our beliefs and our ideas. But it's also true in our relationship with God. The fact is that we're not always going to agree. And I don't know if you've ever been around someone who thinks they're always right. It just drives me crazy if someone thinks they're always right because they're not God and they're not always right. And so it just drives me crazy when someone is always right or thinks they're always right. But the fact is God doesn't only think he's always right, he is always right. And we know that's true. He has a bigger perspective. He can see the world from a different perspective and he's always right. He's perfect and we're not. But that doesn't mean we're always going to go to God and say, well, you know best, and I'm going to do what you have to say. The fact is, we're all born with a very stubborn attitude. We have our own ideas about what we think is good. And even as believers, we don't, aren't completely submissive to what God wants us to do. Whether we admit it or not, we have our own wills. You can look at the people of Israel. You know, there's times they saw that God's will for them was good, and other times they went off their own way, and then they had to come back again, and we're no different. Um, so the fact is, we don't just look to God and say, well, you know best, I'm always going to do what you have to say. Um, and sometimes our ideas are going to be in contrast with what God has in mind for us. So let's take a look at the text this morning and just see how that, what I just said, it will come out in the text and we'll go into it and just see what it has to say. In the text this morning that was read already, so I didn't read it again, but um, the real center point of the passage is Jesus is in a battle with his father's will, or in a struggle with his father's will. Um, so, you know, they go off into the garden. He tells the disciples, you're going to face a temptation. And then he tells them to pray. He goes off into his own prayer. And the real center point uh, is that prayer that Jesus has where he wrestles and he struggles with his father's will. And you'll notice in that verse, it says, Jesus asked the father to remove the cup. He asked the father to remove the cup from him. And in the Old Testament, this refers to des destiny in both a good and a bad sense. Now, usually it refers to the infliction of punishment in association with the wrath of God. The fact is Jesus is about to 
take upon himself the wrath of God. The sins of the world were going to be put upon him. Um, just so we can further understand, what, we're really going to take a look at what Jesus is facing and what he's wrestling with and what, what he's struggling with and what he's feeling in this passage. So just so we understand what he's going to be coming up to, I want to turn to Isaiah 53, 46 and verse 12. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen as I read it, but you can turn if you like. Um, It's Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6, and verse 12. And it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So, as most of you probably know, this is a prophecy, uh, at least most people would agree, this is a prophecy about Jesus and what he's going to face on the cross. Uh, The fact is, Jesus was about to be crushed with the weight of the sin of you and I. All of our sin, all of our guilt was about to be upon him, and even the people around Jesus rejected him. Jesus was going to go out and do this act of love and die on the cross for the sins of everyone, and yet the people around him were rejecting him while he was going to do this. And even, so that was happening, and also the father was going to turn his back on Jesus. In that moment on the cross, when all the sin and all the weight was put on Jesus' shoulders, the father was going to reject him and turn his back on him, the one that Jesus had a perfect relationship with, and the one that he felt close to. To gain more insight, I don't need that, to gain more insight into the loneliness that Jesus felt, let's go back uh, a few verses And this really surprised me. It says that Jesus withdrew from the disciples. It says Jesus withdrew, which means withdrawing means he had to pull himself away from them. He felt close to them. He felt a connection. Now, why this surprises me is because you and I, you know, we both know that we feel a closest connection to the people who can understand us, the people who can relate to us. And so often the disciples had no idea what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand fully his calling, what he was going to do on the cross. They didn't understand it. It's clear if you read this full chapter. And yet Jesus felt this connection with the disciples, and they, they gave him a sense of comfort. That's how alone Jesus felt in this time. So Jesus was in a hard place. He was facing something that none of us can even imagine. Now, the interesting thing is, who does Jesus turn to in prayer during this time of struggle and while he's about to face all of this? Well, he turns to his father. Jesus turns to his father and he says, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, wait a second. The father's the one who willed it, even before the world began, that Jesus go to the cross, that he drink this cup of suffering, that he drink the wrath of God, or drink the wrath all of it upon himself. And yet Jesus turns to his father, the one who put him through all this and is putting him through this. That's interesting. It's, it's hard to understand, really, if you look at it. Now, how many of you would agree that when the father puts us through difficult circumstances, it's hard to see how he's still good? 
You know, the last thing we often want to do in our struggle is turn to the Father or turn to God in prayer. I mean, again, the Father was sending Jesus to the cross. He was going to put all that weight of sin on him. He was going to turn his back on him. And that's, but you know what? Jesus could see beyond all the pain, all the suffering, all the sin, and he could see the good that the Father was doing. You see, Jesus was at the center of the plan of redeeming the world back to himself, the, the Father's plan of redeeming the world back to himself. Now, how many of you can look at the Father's plan to redeem the world back to himself and say, that was a good plan? I think all of you could agree, right? Now, to look at it from our perspective, yeah, it was a good plan, but now look at it from Jesus' perspective. Put yourself in his shoes. It doesn't, it's not as easy to see that it was good. He went through a lot of pain. He went through you know, being rejected even by the Father, and yet he could see through all that that his Father's will for him was good. And, you know, ultimately Jesus had to be killed on the cross for, for uh, taking away our sins. And the fact is that the Father has a good will for each and every one of us. And the fact is that it is a good will, but it's not always going to look like a good will to us. The Father can see the greater good that he's accomplishing in all the suffering that he allows us to go through. But the question is, can you see it? And so often we can't. You know, God has this perspective that's much bigger than ours. And we have, you know, we're these like little ants and we have our little perspective here, but we can't see what he's really up to many times. I don't know how many of you have heard of George Mueller. Uh, he uh, had an orphanage in England and eventually had over a thousand orphans under his care in the late 1800s. And continually, time after time, God demonstrated his power uh, in caring for those orphans. They never went hungry. And there's times where, you know, it was going to be the next day and they didn't have any food and yet God always provided. But my real point in this, in sharing this with you is his wife had been sick in various occasions and had been healed in various times. And there was one year where she got sick and she never recovered and she ended up passing away. And George Mueller grieved the death of his wife, and it was difficult. And from him, from his perspective, looking around, he couldn't understand why she was taken. It didn't make sense. It didn't, it didn't look like there was any reason for it. And it was hard, and he grieved, and he struggled with understanding what the Father was up to or what his God was up to. But ultimately, he was able to cling on to this verse uh, that's found in Psalms. Psalm 84:11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And George Mueller clung on to that, and he said, you know what? If it was good for my wife to remain here, then she would still be here today. But the fact is she's gone. And he clung on to the truth that the Father, it was good for the Father to take her. It was good for him. It was good for her. It was good for the people around them for her to be taken. And that's, I don't want to minimize that at all. It's not an easy truth to embrace. It's, it shouldn't be easy. But ultimately, he was able to cling on to that truth. In verses 40, 43 and 44, we go on to see more about the difficulty Jesus is facing. And he's really in the midst of this battle. And this angel comes and strengthens Jesus during this time. And then Jesus sweats like great drops of blood. Um, and this sweat seems to illustrate sweat like an athlete. Jesus is in a battle, and he's wrestling, and he's struggling, and he's sweating. And it's difficult. It's not easy what he's going to face. And so we've looked a lot at Jesus and what he's facing and the Father's will for him. But now I want us to move on, and I want us to take a look at the disciples. And what are they doing? And 
what's their role in this? And it's really easy to look at the disciples and pick them apart, you know. They always seem to be doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, and we can look at it and read about it and make fun of them. But the fact is, so often we're just like them. So I think it'll be really insightful to take a look at what they were facing and what they were going through um, to really gain insight into what I've been talking about. In this chapter, you could say, looking at the disciples, they really seem like the real deal when it comes to being a Christian. You know, Jesus is over there, and he's in a battle, and he's wrestling, and he's struggling, and he's sweating, and he's in a battle, and yet the disciples are sleeping. They're, they're just over there sleeping, and Jesus had told them, you're going to face temptation, and he tells them to pray, and yet they're sleeping. That's pretty confident, and many people have this idea that as Christians, we need to be strong all the time. And I mean, we know Jesus, right? So we should have it all together. And I mean, if that's your idea, then, you know, the disciples look like they're doing the right thing. But as we all know, after this passage, they all end up running. And the fact is, they'd never really embraced their, the Father's will for them. The Father had a will for them in this situation. It was to stay faithful, right? It was to remain true to their calling. And yet they all ran because they never embraced and they never struggled with and they'd never battled with staying committed to Jesus. And this was a real time of testing for them. It was a time of temptation. It was a hard time for them. Let's take a look at the disciples before this current event in this passage to gain a little more insight. What are they feeling? What are they thinking? What's going through their heads? You'll notice in verse 31, 32, and 33, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. There was no evidence in this passage at all that Peter wrestled with this commitment that he made to go with Jesus both to prison and off to death. That's a pretty big commitment to make, yet he never struggled with it, never wrestled with it, but he was confident. He felt like he was going to really come through, and when the time of testing came, he thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to stay with Jesus, and I'm going to be faithful. But the fact is, we all know, when the time came, he ended up denying Jesus, and he definitely didn't go with him both to prison and to death. Let's take a look at another few verses to gain a little more insight into the disciples. Luke 22, verse 21 to 23. Jesus says, But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For I, the Son of Man, must die, since it is part of God's plan. But how terrible it will be for my betrayer. Then the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. And from this verse, you know, you'll notice at the end it says the disciples asked each other which of them would ever do such a thing. The fact is none of them expected that they would ever deny Jesus. None of them ever expected that they would run when the time of testing came. They thought they were strong. They thought they'd made commitments, but their commitments were shallow. They'd never embraced them. And when the time came, they were unprepared. They thought they were prepared, but they weren't. You know, Peter blurts out his commitment, and the disciples, you can tell from this last verse you looked at, they, they thought they were committed, but they weren't. So I want to say something important here, and I think this is really important, and some of you might say this is, you know, doesn't make sense, but anyways, it's okay to admit that you don't always want the same thing as God wants. It's okay to admit that, and if you never admit that, you're deceiving yourself, and you're lying to yourself, and you've pull God down and you formed your God right here into this little idol that you've made for yourself and it's comfortable and you worship this idol but it's not the true God. If you've never wrestled with God about anything and you feel strong all the time and you feel like you're always doing the Father's will, 
You're not dealing with the true God because the true God is hard to deal with and we're going to struggle and we're going to wrestle and we're going to find times where um, we don't want to commit to what he has to say and what his will is. But when the true God gets a hold of you, it's going to make you squirm. It will make you uncomfortable. It's going to be hard to deal with. Now, when we are faced with uncomfortable decisions or difficult circumstances, how do we prepare? You'll notice Jesus went out into the Mount of Olives and he spent time there before praying and spending all night in prayer, um, spending time committing himself to the Father's will. He knew a hard time was coming. And so Jesus goes off into his own and he prays. And in this prayer, he, you know, he puts the desires of his human nature, which he puts on the line. And that was difficult. Jesus didn't want to take this sin upon himself. He didn't want to take all this suffering on himself. And Jesus battled with it. And he struggled with it. And ultimately, though, he embraced it. And you'll notice when Jesus goes off to the cross, he's calm through the whole thing. You know, I say, well, that's Jesus, you know. Of course he's going to be calm and he's perfect. But again, he's setting an example for us here. Um, to make the transition from my will to not my will, but yours be done, we will go through a battle, an intense battle, where we put our desires on the line and the Father breaks us. This also happened to Jacob. I don't know how many of you know the this story, but Jacob wrestles all night with God and he wants a blessing from God. And so he wrestles all night. And ultimately, he walks away from there with that blessing. He got it. But in that battle that he was in all night, he was changed and his hip was put out of socket. And he came out of that battle changed. He got what he wanted, but he was changed. And he had to go through a battle for it. So my challenge to you is that you come before God with who you are today and to put it on the line. If you feel that God has let you down, hasn't been there for you like he promised, tell him that. Tell him what is really going on in your heart. And God can begin to work on your own will. And he can bring your own will into line with his will. I'm going to bring a few scenarios before you of things you might be struggling with. I don't know each of you in your own lives. Um, but I'll give you a few examples. Maybe something will pop into your own head. But maybe you're having difficulties with your boss at work. Or maybe you're at a time where you don't even have work. I can't understand that. It would be a hard place to be in. Or maybe you've been plagued with physical pain and suffering and you can't understand why God's putting you through this and how does this make sense. I have a sister and her husband and they've gone through a lot of hard times. They've both in the last year had a mild form of cancer and he's only had a part-time job and she's, her job is on the line right now and they've been going through a lot of hard thing and it's been, things and it's been hard for them to understand why is God putting us through this and why always us and why do we have to go from one thing to the next and it's not easy to understand. Maybe you're in a marriage relationship and you've put everything that you have into that relationship and you've been trying to love the other person, you've been trying to commit yourself but it's just getting so hard and, and you're in a hard place and, and that is a hard place to be and you feel like you've put yourself out there and it's just not working. It's hard. Maybe your family has been going through difficult times. It just never seems to end. That's a hard place to be in. Or maybe you're just frustrated with the person that God has made you into. That's also a hard place. These are all difficult circumstances. Or maybe you have one in your own mind uh, that you've been going through. Now, you may not be ready to say with whatever you have in mind, Father, you know, your will for me in this situation is good. And I don't want you to say a quick prayer this morning and just say, you know, God, your will for me in this is good because I don't think that would necessarily be genuine. But I encourage you to be like Jesus and wrestle with the, our good Father in prayer. Now I say good Father and you might say, well, he's not good. You know, he's put me all, 
he's put me through all this and it's not easy and I don't see how he's good and it makes me mad and I just want to, you know, say stuff to God. Well, go ahead and say it to him. That's okay. You know, I encourage you to come before God and be honest with him. Tell him what you're feeling. Tell him what makes you mad. Tell him what you don't understand. Tell him how, you know, this or that just isn't fair. And my challenge to you is as you go from here, I challenge you to come before God as you really really are, and if you allow yourself to be vulnerable before God with all your feelings and everything that you are, it will be a significant time of change in your life. Amen. Thank you for that, Gideon. A good word, well spoken. Thank you. We're going to close our service in responding to what we've just heard by singing from our hymnals number 221, which is a prayer, it's a plea to God to keep the suffering of Christ ever in the front of our minds. Verse 4 particularly, which basically says something like, if you need me to, I will suffer for you even as you suffered for me. In other words, because of the cross and because you are my king, Nothing is too much for you to ask of me. And the chorus, lest I ever forget the depth of your suffering and think that I must not suffer, keep your death, lead me to Calvary, keep your death in the front of our minds. So let's stand and sing this song together. 221. King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou was laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed, guarded thee whilst thou slept. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Let me, like Mary, through the gloom come with a gift to thee. Show me to now the empty tomb. Lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, Lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, 
Lord to bear daily my cross for thee even thy cup of grief to share thou hast borne all for me lest I forget Gethsemane lest I forget thine agony lest I forget thy love for me lead me to Calvary as you go from here this morning may your life this week be all about Jesus may you look to him for all your happiness may you look like him in your character live like him in your conduct and love like him in your care for people. Amen. Go in peace. The Lord is with you.